You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. So last Sunday night, I had some really bad jet lag. Uh, we had just gotten back from a vacation. So what I normally do when I have jet lag is I try to lay down and go to sleep, and then I finally eventually say, i got to restart. And so I get out of bed, and usually, Keaton, this is one of her biggest critiques of me, is I usually like to eat a bowl of cereal late at night. If you live with me in college, which a couple of people here did, they know that's one of my patterns. Anyways, I was like, there's this really good documentary on Netflix that I want to watch uh, about Bob Ross. Bob Ross, have you guys seen this? Bob Ross, you know, the painter who had that crazy fro? Um, I'm going to spoil something for you, but did you guys know the fro was a perm? It wasn't actually his natural hair. It really was disappointing when I found that out. It was actually a really sad documentary, which is like right up my alley. I love sad, depressing documentaries. I went from that one to the 9-11 one right afterwards, so that's kind of how I roll with my documentaries. You can psychoanalyze that later of why I just go from one depressing thing to the next, but I like to learn about stuff. Well, anyways, the Bob Ross documentary, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Bob Ross was a celebrity. He was known throughout the world for being able to do a 28-minute uh, landscape canvas that was recorded. And he'd talk with this really smooth, calm voice. But as you watch the documentary, the question really is, where is the magic? Like, what makes Bob Ross magical? Why did he have such a following? Why, if he were to show up for, like, uh, an event in Central Park, New York, thousands of people would show up? The magic of Bob Ross is that he made you move from a spectator to a participator. He made you believe that you could, too, make a canvas like he could. Like, that's the power. The power is that he invited you to participate. He invited you to take your role that anyone could be a painter. Anyone could do the work that he was doing. They just need to believe in themselves. At least that's how Bob Ross would put it. As we've been journeying through the Gospels, Matthew, and then today we're going to be in Mark, the vision Jesus gives of the kingdom is not just for you to be a passive spectator sitting on the sideline as Jesus unfolds the kingdom in our midst like a master artist on a blank canvas, but he's inviting you to participate. That the Gospel stories isn't just, wow, that's really cool what Jesus did, but it's just, there's an invitation to participate in the work that he is doing as well. And so today we're going to look at a really cool story in the Gospel of Mark. You read it this week, I believe, on Friday. Chris said we were reading it today. Maybe I'm messed up on my reading plan schedule. But Mark chapter 6, so we're going to look at the story in Mark chapter 6 of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Really, it was about 10,000 people, probably. And we're going to look at the story and not only see what Jesus does, but how he might invite us to participate alongside him in his kingdom work, in his kingdom way of living. So if you have a Bible, would you turn there and just hold that spot? Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 30. I'm going to read the story in a second, but let me give you two clues for the context to understand what's going on in this passage. Mark chapter 6, earlier in the chapter before this story, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to cast out demons, to announce the kingdom has come, to call people to repentance. Already, like I said earlier, he's moving people from spectators to participators. Go carry on the work of the kingdom. You're sent from me with the Spirit to do the things that I do. Well, it's really important to know that earlier in Mark 6 because the story we're going to look at in verse 30 starts with the disciples coming back 
and reporting all of the things that they had seen God do through them. They're amazed at the works that they're getting to participate in as they're an extension of Jesus' ministry. That's the first clue. It's a near clue to the current passage. Now there's a far clue. If you read this story and have any context of what's unfolded all throughout the Old Testament as we've been journeying through it this whole year, you'll see all the imagery littered in this passage of the Exodus story. That God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them to the wilderness. And even though they started to complain and bicker with one another, he began to provide for them manna from heaven, bread from the sky. And as these uh, crowds are watching Jesus, as the disciples are watching Jesus, you can't help but think that they're getting a picture not only of manna from heaven like in the Exodus story, but they're having the very bread of life before them. As Jesus says in John, I am the bread of life. So as you hear the story and read this story, think of it in the context of the Exodus story that's in so much of the background of all the stories in the Gospels. That's the near and the far clues. Let's read the passage. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. It says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, on, landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can get to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for them to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Jesus throwing it back at him. Verse 37, halfway through, they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? I love this. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish that was among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Numbers are always so important. See the symbolism there of 12. God calling back, Jesus calling back the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 44. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. 5,000. Would you pray with me? And then let's see how God might want to speak to us through this passage. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God who lives in each of us and with us as a community, would you begin to speak to us now through your word? That this story as we watch unfold, as you feed Jesus 5,000 plus, 
would not just leave us as spectators on the sideline, but we would participate in the kingdom way. We would see your power in our midst. We would offer our meager offerings to you like five loaves and two fish and see you do something incredible with it. God, we love you and we trust you and we trust that you will speak to us here the next couple minutes together as you've been speaking to us all week. And in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage, I want to give you just three insights, three ways that maybe this passage might shape us as God's people in our time and place as we seek to live in the kingdom. We live in one of the most, probably the most, materially wealthy and rich cultures that has ever existed on planet Earth. Like we have unbelievable amount of resources at our disposal. Right now, I can pull out my phone and through Amazon.com get anything that I need in the next 48 hours. And yet, in light of this materially rich, wonderful culture that we live in in so many ways, we are rampantly lonely and we are chronically distracted. We have rampant loneliness and chronic distraction. Get these stats. Loneliness. One in four Americans now, sorry, one in three Americans currently live alone. The most ever in any human history or society, people are living alone with no one else. You can argue that's a good thing, like I want to have my own space. But in context of the whole of, of course of human history, that's profound. One in four Americans say they have nobody currently to confide in, to share secrets with or suffering with. Completely isolated, have no close friendships to share anything of importance with. There's a uh, recent study that came out. I got a lot of press, at least on my different social media feeds. But it, it compared loneliness and chronic loneliness to the same effect on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Like heart disease and, and all these different problems that we have as humans with our bodies is intimately connected with loneliness of not having real relationship. But we're not only lonely, we're chronically distracted. Now, this these stats... I, I was like, is this real? Because this sounds like kind of crazy. But let me just give them to you, and then you can look them up later yourself. One recent study I saw showed that Americans will spend an average of 44 years in front of a screen over the course of their lifetime. Now, think not just that's your Instagram scrolling feed, but like most of us work in front of a screen for eight hours a day, right, with your job. It said, uh, I had a, this, is, this is a side note. This is, this is off script. This is good for me. Uh, I, had a, I, had this kid, I had this kid in my uh, Gilbert Christian class who said, yeah, you know, the moment I get home from school at 3 p.m., I'm on um, my phone and doing homework, but also with a video game in the background from 3 to 10 p.m. every night. I just start there at 3, and I just go all the way to 10 p.m., and then I go to sleep. And then I restart the same thing every day. And it was like, this is normal. The, the study also showed that it was an average of 16 and 19 hours a day that Americans spend on a screen. And within 10 minutes, the majority, the vast majority of Americans, within 10 minutes of waking up, have already put a screen in front of their face. I'm not guilty of that at all. Rampant loneliness, chronic distraction. I don't give this to you to give you some like guilt around our culture or to say how bad American or Western culture is. I give this to you to offer maybe a different way, a Jesus way from the story that we have today. Notice the first couple of verses in our story. It says that the disciples had come back. There were so many people around, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Now we could see this, oh, that's really bad. Like they are not eating, like they're overwhelmed, they're overworking. Maybe that's part of it. 
but also see that they're so present with people. They're so attuned to what's going on in front of them, not buffered by a screen or something else. They're so present, they don't even have time to eat. Presence and a culture of loneliness. But then notice also, too, it says that the disciples, after they didn't have anything to eat, Jesus is like, hey, come away with me and get some rest. Let's go to a solitary place. Here's what I want you to hear. This is the first insight. In a culture of rampant loneliness and distraction, Jesus offers us as a people a kingdom way of both presence and solitude. Yet often we settle for performance and scrolling. He offers us as a way, presence and solitude, a rhythm of it. And yet we settle for often performance and scrolling instead of solitude. I want to talk about performance for a second. I think this is the thing that has been with me all week as I was thinking about this sermon. How do we know when we're being a people of presence or we're stepping into uh, an act of performance? Presence should bring the easy yoke of Jesus that comes out of our identity where we can walk in a non-anxious way towards neighbors and towards others. Performance brings out anxiety. It's a yoke of slavery. It cripples us to not be the people of God. I want to give you three ways I think performance could be shown in your life, in my life, in us as a people, as we try to be a people of presence. The first is this. Performance often looks like when you get into the spot of all or nothing thinking. All or nothing thinking. Here's what I mean. In the context of the life of our church, in the context of missional communities, in the context of whatever the commitments that you have, often we feel so overwhelmed with our capacity and we don't feel like we can make it all work that we get into this all or nothing thinking. If I can't do it all, I'm going to do nothing. It happens all the time in the life of missional communities. I can't do it all, so therefore I'm just going to drop it all. All or nothing thinking. The second thing is this. Not just all or nothing thinking and performance. The second way of performance is you constantly feel overwhelmed by the basic things of life. Going from job to job, from job, from work to home, from the basic uh, capacities that God's given you, the commitments he's given you, you constantly feel overwhelmed. And when we feel overwhelmed, what do we do? We isolate. We don't follow through with the commitments that we've made. We say, you know what, I'm just going to peace out. I'm not going to be part of this. And then the last thing I've been thinking about of where performance shows up is we see mission as God's people as an add-on to our life, as on something we need to get to and add on. So what happens often is even from up front here or when you're reading the Bible, you begin to feel this condemnation and shame as if Charlie or Chris or Sarah or someone else is asking you to do something more. They're putting an extra burden on you, something more you got to do. You got to add more mission to your life. And then you feel this crippling shame because you can't do it and your life is too full and you have too much at your, uh, your commitments currently. You just can't do it. Instead of seeing often with mission, it's a reorientation, a reorientation of our lives. It's doing things that we're already doing with gospel intentionality. That's the way of presence, not the way of performance. The invitation for us from this story, like Jesus and the disciples, is to be a people of presence, even in the midst where you can't even get some time to eat, presence with others, but also to be a people of solitude. Notice here the disciples get away with Jesus. They go to a solitary place. Um, often in the Christian tradition, uh, we've uh, mistaken what solitude really is. We see it as an escape from community. We've got to get away. 
instead of seeing solitude not as, a, as an escape, but an entry point into community. Here's the beauty of solitude. Here's what it does. When you go into solitude and silence, which some of us hate, what solitude and silence does is it brings up all the things that we worship and that we idolize. Comfort, control, success, and approval. It makes us deal with our idols so that we can actually enter into community. Because what solitude does is it reveals the ways that we actually are preventing ourselves from entering into community, real community, not needing something from community that community can't actually provide. But rather, in exposing the idols, we confess and we repent and we hand those over to Jesus so that when we walk towards our neighbor, we can walk towards them with a real sense of community, not needing something from them that they can't actually provide, that only Jesus can. Solitude and presence, a rhythm back and forth, is the way of Jesus here in the story. That's the first insight. The second insight is this. Jesus has interruption in his life, and he doesn't meet it with disgust or frustration. He meets it with compassion. So, um, like most of you, I've had to work from home for a lot of the last couple of years, or at least have reoriented my life to work more from home than I ever did before. And I have little kids in my house. I have a five- and three-year-old, and they are wonderful. And what happens is, is, as I'm working in my garage often, is the door will get knocked on a million times, right? Or the, it will be open, and they'll come in, and their faces are so cute. And I love having them come in there. And so a couple months ago, uh, Keaton was like, hey, what if you did something where it was more clear when they can come in and when they can't? And so what I did is I put up a stoplight. This is Keaton's idea, not my own, so I won't take credit for it. But a stoplight. Green light means you can come in. Daddy would love to see you. Yellow light means you can come in, but you got to be quiet. You can't talk. And red light means you can't come in. Dad's in a meeting. And so now I, I'm getting really bad at actually changing out the lights on the front of my door. But when I do, Clark, like, he like totally responds to that. He's like, yeah, it's, it's green light. I can come in. I'm welcomed in here. Yellow light, okay, i got to be quiet. Or red light, he still tries to come in sometimes, but at least he kind of has an idea that he shouldn't come in. Green light, yellow light, red light. But here's the thing of why I had to put that up. I hate interruptions. Like, I hate it. No matter how cute a three-year-old's face is when they come in, I just hate being interrupted at something that I'm working on. Can anybody resonate with me? I know Isaiah, at least. That's Thank you, my man. I appreciate that. Interruptions are hard for me. And often I meet interruptions with frustration or anger or irritation. Notice in our passage what Jesus does is the crowds meet him on the shore. It's like the paparazzi have found Jesus and the disciples. And what is Jesus' response? Gosh, can't believe all these people are here trying to see us. I was just trying to escape and get some solitude time and read my Bible in the morning, and now I have all these people in my face. Like, just send them away. No, he looks at the crowds, and his response is compassion. It's compassion. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Is that how you see other people? Like, is that how when you're interrupted in life, you see your interruption as an opportunity for compassion? Or do you see it as something else, as an irritant, as something to be frustrated by? There's this um, Notre Dame professor, I don't even know his name, and we have Notre Dame right here. Nick, come on, man. He says this. He says, I used to think that the interruptions of my work, or the interruptions were getting in the way of my work, but I've come to realize the interruptions are my work. They are my work. 
Notice in the story, the disciples respond not with compassion, but with indifference and cynicism. First with indifference. Hey, Jesus, send them away. Get this toxicity out of my life. Like, get, get rid of these people. Indifference. Like, I don't care about them. Or then secondly, Jesus says, now you give them something. And they say, dude, it's going to take a half year's wages to feed these people. Are you crazy? Cynicism. Like, nothing's going to ever change. Like, this is, that, that's me. That's, that's me right here. Just, you see the, the cup always half empty. Oh, my gosh. There's no way we can feed all these people. There's no way God could do anything in our midst. Cynicism. What about for you? I want you to turn. We do this often in our sermons to turn to somebody around you. When you look and you see others, both inside and outside the church, are you more prone towards indifference? Like, I just don't care. I don't have the emotional capacity to even deal with this person right now. Or are you more towards cynicism? Like, you always assume the worst of the other person. Or, like, you always see, like, there's just no way to help. Like, there's, there's no way to do anything about this. Which one is you? Which, which, which one are you? Indifference or cynicism? Turn to somebody around you. You can even walk and find somebody if you'd like. Ready, set, go. Whether you are indifferent or cynical about the crowds, about people, we have so much information coming with us all the time. We are constantly flooded with information. Just think about even the last couple of weeks, Afghanistan. What other time in human history do you watch video after video of people dying and falling from a plane? Like we have so much footage now that we have many ways, we're, we're, we're prone to either indifference, like I can't deal with that right now, or cynicism, like ah, uh, like the world is just all a mess. Instead of compassion, even when we disagree with people. When we see crowds, when we see people, that our posture to be compassion, sheep without a shepherd. Here's my challenge for you this week, whether you're indifferent or cynical, choose one meal to fast from this week and use fasting as a whole body experience to grow in your capacity for compassion. What's, what fasting does is as we have those hunger pains, it gives us invitation after invitation to grow in our solidarity with those who are suffering, to have compassion to those we normally wouldn't have compassion on, that the hunger pains are this physical reminder that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, and people are sheep without a shepherd. They're in need of a good shepherd. His name's Jesus. Fast from one meal this week. That's my challenge for you. Maybe tomorrow morning or tomorrow at lunch. Fast from that meal Monday at lunch. That's the second insight. We have a rhythm, the first one, of presence and solitude. I'd encourage you this fall, which rhythm are you not very strong at? Are you not really good at showing up and engaging with people and being present? Or do you have a really hard time creating space, especially if you're a young mother of solitude? Which one are you? Presence or solitude you need to grow in this year. But then secondly, not just that rhythm, but our posture towards people is one of compassion. But there's a third insight I want you to see. The third one is this. Would you just bring whatever you have? Bring your meager offering. Notice in the story, it says that uh, they went away and they found out what food they had. Jesus said, go and see. I love this part of the story. 
comes back and they say, we have five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. Like, how, how, how ridiculous might have you felt to come back seeing a crowd of 10,000 people saying, Jesus, we've looked around. There's this boy over here. He's got five loaves and two fish. Like, I'm a cynic. That's, like, don't even approach Jesus with the five loaves and two fish. That's a bad idea. But in the Gospel of Matthew, which this story is in all four Gospels, Jesus just says this, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. If you're a mother in our midst and you're drowning in diapers and naps and hysterical crying fits and wiping butts and whatever else it takes to be a mom, Jesus says to you, bring them here to me. Bring me your meager offering and watch me do amazing work. Whether you're in a helping profession where you're helping people with their bodies or their souls, maybe you're in a school or you're on a hospital floor or you're in a counseling room, Jesus says, bring me what you have and watch me do amazing work. Whether you're suffering this morning from crippling anxiety or pain, depression, feel like you don't even want to go from day to day, overwhelming sorrow, Jesus says, come, come here to me. Bring them here to me and watch me do amazing work. Whether you've been trying to be a faithful presence in somebody else's life and you feel like you just strike out over and over and over again, that you've just been faithful, you've been present, Jesus says, bring me what you have. Bring me what you have and watch me do amazing work. Give me your five loaves and your two fish. The offering or the invitation to us this fall is real simple. As we develop a rhythm of presence and solitude, as we have a posture of compassion, Jesus simply says to you, bring me your meager offering. Bring me whatever you have. Whatever capacity you have, whatever resources you have, whatever, however small it is, just bring it to me and watch me do amazing work. Would you reach out your hands like this? Just as a representation of your meager offering, our meager offerings, my meager offering, the very little things that we have, the very little capacities and capabilities, resources and time, our emotional capacity, whatever it is, just would you reach out your hands? Would that represent what you have, those five loaves and two fish? And would you pray with me that Jesus would take our meager offerings this fall and make something beautiful and good? Jesus, the one who can feed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish, would you take our meager offerings this fall? our limited capacities, our limited time, our limited ability to connect and to be present with others, would you take our meager offerings and by your spirit, would you feed thousands? Would you feed thousands in our midst? And we would praise you, recognizing that you took our simple offerings and you multiply them.
In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come as a first act of obedience to the communion table. As Clark Mio said last night on our way home from a birthday party, I just don't want to miss communion tomorrow. I just don't want to miss communion tomorrow. We need to be nourished by this table. We need Jesus' body and his blood. And the pattern which is outlined on the, the sign this morning, we see in this story and in the story of the Last Supper and the story in 1 Corinthians of how Paul tells us how to celebrate the Last Supper is a pattern of fourfold. Blessed, broken, given, and eaten. You see it here in this story and it's in the other two stories as well. Jesus blesses the bread and offers it as an act of thanksgiving to us. It's broken. Jesus' body was broken on our behalf so that we might not experience brokenness but healing. It was given. You've been given an invitation to receive from Jesus. Jesus reaches out his hands to you before you ever reach out your hands back to him. And it's eaten. Jesus offers us his very body so that we might be nourished on him. Blessed, broken, given, eaten. That's the pattern we enter into every week as God's people as we come to the table. So would you stand? We're going to read from 1 Corinthians. We read every week. And then I'm going to invite you to come and receive from Jesus at his table. It says this, On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Would you recite with me, which we recite every week as the kids are running back to receive communion as well? The mystery of our faith, which is that Christ has died, he has, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. This is why we gather each week. Would you say that with me, and then would you come to the table? Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive from him.